So it's my turn. My turn to, uh, first things first, wish a happy Mother's Day to all the moms here at our broadcast campus and over at Kendall. Happy Mother's Day to the moms out there and all the moms joining us online. Um, there's nothing like being together in this space, uh, being physically present and being able to exchange grace and peace and God's spirit together. But if you're watching online because you are being pampered today in a way that lets you be home and, and rest, then happy Mother's Day to you, and may God bless you. You will find him wherever you are. And if you are online, I would love to know that you are online. I'm one of those that goes back after the services, and I see who joined us, who commented. So if you do that, I will see you, and I will know that you were there, but I won't know that unless you drop something in the chat. So please do. Also, happy Mother's Day to my own mama. Her name is Roberta. And happy Mother's Day to moms who may not be biological. You know, my kids, and I, I should clarify, my biological teenage boys often remind me how I'm legally bound to feed them and care for them, that it's my duty, right? <laughs> but some of you out there, you're not legally bound to do anything, and yet you do, and our communities are so grateful for you. We see you. We also see some of the amazing women out there who may rather avoid this day altogether because it brings up a point of pain for whatever reason, maybe an, an unmet expectation or a loss in your life. And so we see you too. And we want to say we're praying right now that God would meet you and give you the desires of your heart as he promises to provide you a hope and a future. Some of us can't be with our moms, whether uh, distance or because they're no longer with us at all. And so we come to Mother's Day and we want to honor and celebrate like it says in, in the Ten Commandments to honor your father and your mother. But in that same bag, we may find an ache, an unmet expectation, or an injustice. And it's okay to bring that whole bag because God is ready for it. He can handle it. And when we bring whatever's in our bag to Jesus, he may not change what's in our bag, but he can change the way that we hold on to our bags. He's way more interested in transforming us than he is in changing the stuff around us. God changes us before he changes stuff. And he makes it different, makes us different in the best ways. At least that's how I've experienced him personally. This feels different to me today. I do feel different, and I want to say thank you, Pastor Bill, for your mentorship. Thank you for your words today. Thank you, church, for the affirmation that you gave to the call that I felt on my life as I pursued God and then confirmed by his spirit and through his word, through his truth, that I would be ordained as a pastor in this church. Thank you for seeing the obedience that I felt and thank you for affirming and, and leaning in. That's what I want to say. Thank you for leaning in with your faith that we are all image bearers of the most high God, male and female, both created in God's image and given gifts to serve the body, to serve the church, serve. Kingdom leadership is never a ladder that you climb. And Jesus was clear in Matthew 20, 26, when he said that whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And I'm so grateful to serve you, church, in whatever ways are most meaningful to helping people find and follow Christ. That's the goal. That's the mission that we are on together. And obedience to Christ's mission is the easiest hard thing 
to do. Obedience is the easiest hard thing to do. That's what this whole ordination process felt like to me. Obedience. Some of you have, have asked me, have written in, how do you feel different? How's the job going? What's, what's new? What's changed? Um, it feels like obedience. And the job really hasn't changed except that it just feels like more. I'm still the shepherd and ministry leader for our worship arts team. It just feels like more. I still sit on our executive team, our directional team for the church. I just feel that a little bit more. And I'm still in conversations, mentoring, and accountability relationships with women. Just more. <laughs> so um, this is not going to be a perfect illustration, but I think you'll follow along when I tell you that it feels like when I became a mom. Everything was just more. Right, moms? More love. More exhaustion. More joy. More tears. More milestones that come with more prayers. More purpose. More, what day is it? Anybody feeling the more with me? My point is that when a woman becomes a mom, it's not so much that we develop new traits that never existed in us as females, but we are given an expanded place to grow and become. And what we already had in us turns into skills now that those things are needed so much more. And I asked my husband if he felt a sense of more in becoming a dad, and he said, yeah, I became more concerned with money, right? And the financial responsibility that comes with having a baby, the formula, the diapers, the wipes, a heightened sense of protection and trying to make our house even safer than it was before, more. So then I started thinking about how any responsibility certainly parenting, but it could be anything that we are given to take care of and steward, like our money, our work, school, friendships, teens, pets, fill in your blank. Any arena of responsibility becomes practice for us to let God do more. More in us, more through us, more for us, and we get to choose the easiest hard thing of obedience to practice and develop potential into real life skills. I mean, think about it. When did you rise to a level of achievement or success without some kind of practice or development, whether formal or informal? And listen, I'm not just talking about intellectual or physical, but how about emotional? I read on the Mental Health America website, listen to this. In 2020, anxiety screenings were up 93% from the previous year. And depression screenings were up 62%. That tells me that even, even emotional success, the ability to live at peace with myself and with others, takes practice and development. And here's a thought I want you to hang on for just a second. In real life, the practice room is also the performance. The scrimmage game is also the season opener. In other words, responsibility and obedience can only be rehearsed in relationship relationship with myself, relationship with God, and relationship with others. On-the-job training is kind of the way life works, and you got to figure out what you're going to do as you're on the way to do it, if you even have that much of a heads up. Sometimes the opportunity to rise comes with no warning at all, and we either do it or we don't. And I've been on both sides of that. And I think what makes the difference between moments when I chose to rise and moments when I didn't 
is what I had been practicing in my life, what I had rehearsed in my mind and with my behaviors. So today, we are going to take a look at a person in the Bible who was ready to rise to more. Someone who spent time rehearsing a life of consistency and obedience, serving God and serving the nation of Israel. But more specifically, leading the nation of Israel. And remember Israel, we read Israel's history throughout the Old Testament, and these are God's chosen people. Why he chose them, we're not quite sure. That's God's business. But the point is that he used them to show the surrounding nations what a relationship with the one true God was like. And ancient Israel is an Old Testament clue to the New Testament church, of which we are now a part. We live to help others see what a relationship with the one true God is like through Jesus Christ. So in the Old Testament, after God delivers the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, and they struggle with God in the wilderness for 40 years, you might remember the story, they have now finally entered the land the Lord has promised them. They settle in Canaan, and they're ready to experience more of God's blessing and goodness. But old habits die hard. And their cycle of worship, rebellion, and then repentance continues. So instead of enjoying the freedom and prosperity God had for them, they forgot who they are as God's chosen people. And they fall out of love with God, and they lose their motivation to do what was right. And before long, they're slaves again. They turn back to God out of desperation. And because God does not forget who he is, defender, protector, provider, and father, he had compassion on his kids, like he always does. And he raised up leaders who would deliver the Israelites from their enemies and remind them that they are sons and daughters of the Most High God. These leaders were the 12 judges of Israel that we read about in the Bible. They're heroes who came to the rescue every time Israel cycled through their rebellion and their repentance. Guess who's on this list of mighty warrior leaders? Her name is Deborah. I love Deborah. I get Deborah. She's not as well known to us as, say, Mary, mother of Jesus, but there is so much in her story. She's a prophet who spoke the word of the Lord to the people. She's a songwriter, a worship leader a strategist, a mediator, a counselor, and the fourth and only female judge of the nation of Israel. God's people. God's leader. But of all the things on her resume, you know what she says she is? She calls herself mother. In Judges 5-7, this is part of her worship song, she says, village life in Israel ceased. Ceased? Until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. Now, plucking that verse out by itself makes her sound way more egotistical than she is. She's just retelling the facts of the story in poetry and praise to God for his deliverance. So, let's go look at the facts of the story. And I'll give you a bit of context. This is Judges 4.1. After Ehud died, he was the former judge, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. You see this all throughout the book of Judges. Once again, once again, once again. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, a king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. 
The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Hagoyim. Okay, why do all those places matter? Well, this is the only time during the period of the judges where the Israelites' enemies came from within their own land. God gave Israel instructions to completely drive the Canaanites out of the land he had given them so that their witness to the world would not be compromised by any remnant of pagan influence and idolatry. But their failure to do that allowed the enemy to regroup, and now they wanted their power back. Note to self, sometimes God lets the justice for our choices play out. And it played out like this for the Israelites. Going on. Because he, Sisera the commander, had 900 iron chariots, that's like the ancient equivalent to military tanks, and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Yeah, I guess after 20 years they had had enough of being bullied in their own land. Verse 4, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah, and the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. So there's what's going on with Israel. They're deep in rebellion once again, and Deborah's in charge. We don't know how she came to her position, but we do know that she was leading Israel at that time. We also know, verse 5, that she held court under a palm tree. First of all, how lovely is that? To set up your courtroom outside under the canopy of the creator who is justice, who is truth, who is the immortal, invisible God, only wise. She's not in a fancy tent. She's out amongst the people. And then she shades herself, maybe to not be distracted by the sun or the heat of the day so that she could focus on the responsibilities God had given her. She's physically representing herself as a mediator. As God provides covering for her, she provides resolution for the people. Psalm 92.12 says that the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. So maybe it was a symbol of her relationship with God, that she did her best to make the right decisions because her decisions affected people's lives. So a first thing we notice about Deborah is that she was a really good model of leadership. She made herself available to the people and proved that she could be trusted and that her words would be wise. Moms, that kind of sounds like what we try to do, right? Be available to our kids and say smart things. Let's hope we do that. Not only did God raise Deborah up because of these skills and her desire to serve, but we also read that the Israelites came to her. So I've got a question for you. Do people come to you? If you're taking notes today, write this question down, and we'll come back to it in a minute. What's my model? Just jot it down. All right, let's read a little bit more about Deborah. She sent for Barak, an Israelite military leader, and she said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Deborah's not playing around. As a prophet, she's about to speak for God. Go take with you 10,000 men, and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I, that's the Lord, I, I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and troops to the Kishon River and give him 
into your hands. So I imagine Barak was kind of like, he was kind of thinking, like, what? What's going on? And Deborah, maybe she takes a deep breath. Yes, Barak, the God of our ancestors told me, and now I'm telling you, so go. Now, I don't know exactly how she said it. I don't know if she had like a nagging mom tone about it or if she was gentle, and though I, I highly doubt that she was gentle about it. But this is how I read the Bible. I try to imagine what I'm reading like a movie. I mean, these were real people, right? However it came out, it was dripping with so much authority. That word from the Lord spoken by Deborah was about to change everything for Israel. So now we see that Deborah is a messenger. And the power that comes with a message from a trusted source is thick. Think about it. You have people in your life who you trust. And when they speak, you pay attention. On the flip side, you have people in your life who you don't trust. And when they speak, it's kind of take it or leave it. Not so with Deborah. God chose Deborah to speak the message that would set the deliverance of her nation in motion. What kind of messages am I sending? What kind of messages are you sending? And that's another question for you to jot down. What's my message? So Deborah gives the message to Barak to go, and here's what he says back to her. If you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Now the popular theological view is that Barak's faith was too weak to obey the word that he had received. And based on the quality of the, the faith quality of the community at that time, it makes sense. But you won't find it in the black and white of the text. I'm not here to contest it, but I have another thought. What if Barak simply recognized that God had raised up Deborah for this moment? What if as a man of faith, he acknowledged the importance of the presence of God going to fight that battle, and he knew that the presence of God was with this woman? We don't find the answers to those questions in the black and white of the text either, but we do find a quick response from Deborah. She says, very well, I'll go with you. But, she continues, but because of the way you are going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. And without any further conversation recorded, Deborah went with Barak. So what we see about Deborah here is that she's a mentor. We already know that she gives counsel as part of her day job, but what we notice now is that Barak saw something in Deborah that he hadn't yet found for himself. A few verses later, he's still waiting for Deborah's signal to go and Deborah's prophetic reminder that the Lord was going to take care of it. In verse 14, Deborah says, go. This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? I love this because Deborah is so secure in who she is and who she's working for that she has no problem telling Barak that he's the guy. It's all you, man. You're going to win, not me, you. That's a mentor. When what I do is make you successful to the glory of God. Who are you making successful? It's the next question for you to jot down. Who am I mentoring? Then the last thing we're going to highlight about Deborah is how she's a multiplier. 
we jump to the back end of Judges 4, and God does deliver Israel, just like Deborah prophesied. It says, not a man was left. But even though the entire army had been defeated, Sisera actually got away. He jumped out of his chariot and ran. So remember, Deborah had also prophesied that the Lord would hand Sisera over to a woman. So this is an interesting little plot twist here. Sisera finds his way to the tent of a woman named Jael. Jael's husband had apparently made friends with a Sisera guy, so she welcomes him in, she gives him a drink and a place to rest. And we're just going to read the next part straight from the Bible. But Jael, Haber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Bible's words. The Lord indeed handed Sisera over to a woman that day. Deborah may have started it, but I guess we could say that Jael nailed it. Thank you. Moving right along. Verse 24. The hand of the Israelites grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, the Canaanite king, until they destroyed him. Stronger and stronger. That multiplied strength doesn't happen without Deborah setting this whole thing in motion. Judges 5 takes us into Deborah and Barak's worship duet, which closes with this. So may they who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. And then the writer adds, then the land had peace for 40 years. Multiplied strength and multiplied peace. Quite a resume for warrior Princess Deborah. So the last question for you to jot down, what am I multiplying? So we got these four takeaway questions we might ask ourselves out of this story. What's my life model? What's my life's message? Who am I mentoring? And what am I multiplying? So let's talk about the model. Do people look to you? Do they trust you? The answer is yes. They're looking to you for something. They're trusting you for something. They're watching you do something. So what are you doing? What's your model? What are your routines and your habits? If someone were to pattern their life after mine, what would show up? Would it look like Deborah? covered by the shadow of the Almighty and then demonstrating that covering to others in servanthood? And servanthood, there's no one-size-fits-all. It comes in all shapes and sizes, which is why you matter. You're going to serve in a way that only you can serve somebody. You're going to do you better than anyone else can do you. So what does the you model look like? How about your message? What words come from your mouth? What actions come from your hands? What truth do you speak and how do you speak it? When words of hope come from our mouths and acts of kindness and generosity come from our lives, when those things are ignited by God's spirit through us and in Christ, there is so much power to bring life to the people around us. And I get it. Because it's hard to keep my mouth and my behaviors in check sometimes. But obedience is the easiest hard thing to do. I got a text from a friend a few months back that said, obedience is the highest form of spiritual warfare. 
It blesses God and messes with the enemy. Blesses and messes. And if that's what obedience does, then I'm all in. And it's what we watch Deborah do. Your next question is about being a mentor. Who are you making successful to the glory of God? Who are you casting vision for like Deborah did for Barak? Who are you guiding and launching with a go, today's the day you win kind of message? Because the truth is you're probably mentoring somebody in something. So what if we put some intention to that and then ask God, what's the real purpose of this relationship, this, this mentorship? He'll reveal it to you. And then, what are you multiplying? What's growing? What's being cultivated? Where's the fruit showing up? Is the fruit of God's spirit increasing in you? The love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? Because it's easy to multiply a gossiping, complaining, ungrateful, judgmental spirit. Just pop open your social media to like and share it. But that's not God's heart and spirit. When you love the one that you're obeying, obedience is the easiest hard thing to do. And Deborah knew how to rise in her love and her obedience to the Lord, an outstanding model of leadership who brought a message of hope while being a mentor to others in the process so that God's blessings of favor, strength, and peace would be multiplied across a whole nation. How about you? How about me? What are you modeling? What are you messaging? Who are you mentoring? And what are you multiplying? And before you think that this couldn't possibly apply to you, that somehow you're not old enough, you're not experienced enough, you're not significant enough or smart enough or spiritual enough or whatever enough, do not disqualify yourself. Don't do it. God has a tendency of picking up a nobody to become a somebody in front of everybody without asking anybody. Is that true? God raised up a woman in ancient patriarchal Jewish culture to lead and deliver his own people. It may not have been what was traditionally expected, but I don't think that bothered God one bit. Village life had ceased until I, Deborah, arose. Until I, filling your name there, arose. I want all of you to know that God has Deborah moments chosen just for you. Moments where you're going to have a chance to rise and do what only you can do in the way that only you can do it. Moments where you are going to get to choose the easiest hard thing of obedience out of your love for God and love for people, which, by the way, is the greatest commandment, to love God and love others as yourself. So if you're going to pick just one easiest hard thing to do, pick that one. Now, it's interesting that we look at Deborah and we use words like judge, warrior, prophet, leader, because Deborah looks at Deborah and says, Israel just needed a mama, a model and a mentor with a good message that multiplies the right things. That's a mom. I learned some of those things from my mom. Like uh, the one summer that I decided um, I had woken up early, earlier than my mom, and I decided I was going to have ice cream for breakfast. 
So um, I had the whole half gallon in one hand and a spoon in the other. I'm eating ice cream, and then I hear my mom coming, so I quickly try to, you know, put it top back on, get it in the freezer, and don't remember what I did with the spoon. <laughs> and somehow she was on to me. I don't know how she knew. And she asked, um, have you been eating ice cream? And of course I said, no. <laughs> Which was the worst thing I guess I could have done because I lied. And because I lied, not because I had eaten ice cream for breakfast, because I lied, I was put on restriction from having ice cream for that entire summer. Yeah, kids, this is what parenting in the 1900s looked like. <laughs> yes, yes, but it gets worse. Because we went to Disney World that summer, and all of us got the orange and vanilla, like, I don't know what it's called thing, but it's orange and vanilla ice cream together. All of us got it. And um, those of you online, I want to know if you've ever had one of those orange and, and vanilla things. But while everyone, including myself, was enjoying theirs, everyone else is enjoying their orange and vanilla parts. But my mom is watching to make sure that I'm only scooping from the orange side. <laughs> I am triggered right now just thinking about it. But you know what's triggering in me? That my mom was modeling integrity. She means what she says. She was mentoring me. Decisions have consequences. And she was sending a clear message, it is never okay to lie. And she was multiplying my future. How many times in over 30 years do you think that I've remembered that story and it's had an impact on my decision making or in my parenting? She's a Deborah in my life. And she's not the only one. I'm here today as a messenger because some of you have been God-sent models and mentors who spoke messages of life over me and multiplied what God was doing in me. And so I'm so grateful and so humbled that maybe God could use me to be a Deborah too. And I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. You know the name Deborah means honeybee? Some of you probably knew that. Have you ever watched a honeybee? Very busy, pollinating flowers, gathering nectar, working hard to keep the colony thriving and growing, and all that work produces sweetness. Proverbs 16.24 says that gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Gracious words grace-filled words, grace-giving words. And now we can't talk too much about grace without thinking about Jesus. Without Jesus, grace is impossible. And I mentioned earlier how the journey of the Israelite nation is a parallel to the journey we experience as a church in Jesus Christ. And actually, anything we read in the scriptures is part of the roadmap to Jesus. So I look at the story of Deborah and I see a people caught in this cycle. They worship God. They rebel against God. And then out of their desperation, they repent and they cry out to God. And I think, man, I'm Israel. They all are. And Deborah rises and leads the nation to victory and peace. And I think, that's my Jesus my victory, and my peace. Thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Each leader God raises up to defeat enemies in Israel's history gives us only part of the big picture story until Jesus completes that assignment once and for all. Only the Son of God could do that. He's our model for how to live. He's our mentor for how to grow. His message is salvation and total deliverance. And he multiplies victory and peace first in us and then through us to others. And it's the through us to others part that Deborah gets so right. And I love that she's an exception. It's like God takes the opportunity to show the world that I I know you're used to this, but it could also look like this. And maybe that's what you're supposed to hear from God today. Are you the exception? What's in your bag? What skills do you have? What relationships do you have? Job do you have? Family do you have? What resources do you have? Does your bag look different than everyone else's bag? Hallelujah. So did Deborah's. And she used it to let God do more. Are you ready for more? Do you want God to allow you to steward more than obedience is the easiest hard thing to do? When we love God to the point that choosing what he wants for us is more important than anything else, then we rise to the occasion, to the challenge, to the purpose, and to the glory of God. I pray for each one of you right now that you would be filled with the sense of expectation for God to do more in you, more through you, so much more than anything you could ever ask for or imagine. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. I want to begin with a prayer uh, for anyone who, who wants to accept that, to receive that, more from God. You can pray, God, show me the more you have for me. Open my eyes to what it looks like, what it feels like. Show me what my next step of obedience is. Not the next mile, just the next step. And once I take that one step, then I'll ask you for another one. Give me the courage and the strength to take each step as you build my life into a model that looks like you, with a message that sounds like you so I can mentor others for you and your victory and peace would be multiplied in my life and in the lives of those around me. Friends, if something's coming to your mind or people are coming to your mind right now, capture those thoughts. Write them down if you're prone to forget them. They're being sent to you by God's spirit. True victory and peace in a world like ours happens as God's kingdom comes to earth as it is in heaven. And God sent heaven to earth in Jesus Christ. So now I'd like to lead a prayer for anyone who wants to start a relationship with Jesus today and begin the discovery of victory and peace in your life. This prayer is so simple but so important. Lord Jesus, come into my life and heart with your victory and your peace. I'm choosing right now to turn to you for the forgiveness of my sins, and I receive you by grace, your grace, through my faith in you and the work you did on the cross to pay for my sins. 
this is the moment I decide that I don't want to do life without you anymore. I want to do life with you as my savior, my leader, and my friend. Show me the more you have for me as I let my heart be yours. In Jesus' name. Lord, as we close this prayer on this day, we ask for you to send a special blessing on our moms, your daughters. Strengthen them by your spirit and remind them how loved and valuable they are because you created them. Thank you for all the daughters you've placed on your earth. And thank you for all the sons too. We receive more of your victory and more of your peace as your kingdom comes and your will is done. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.